Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our evening service, Sunday the 24th of November 2019. This evening we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1 verses, 7 to 9, and brings us a message entitled, This is Our God, The Wrath of God Part 2. I began a little series of studies in our evening service, entitled, This is our God. And the text that we base this series on is found in John chapter 17 and verse 3. It reads as follows, Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And we have looked at the character of God, the attributes of God, We have thought of his goodness, we have thought of his faithfulness, we have thought of his love, and we have thought of his knowledge, we have thought of his holiness. And we, a few weeks ago, looked at an aspect of God's character that seems to be ignored, and that is God's wrath. John Piper writes as follows, The greatest peril facing every person in every ethnic group, in every place on earth, and at every time in history, is the righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners, leading to everlasting suffering. Unless God himself rescues us from his own judgment. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And poverty and hunger and disease and war and crime and climate change and addictions and homelessness and ignorance and sex trafficking, these bring great global suffering. But they pale in comparison to the peril of being under the wrath of God. They're all tragic, but they're all temporary. They may last a lifetime, but the wrath of God lasts forever. And we live in a world where men and women make fun of God in many, many ways. They make fun of who he is. They make fun of his attributes. They're ignorant to the fact that our God is a jealous and avenging God. They're ignorant of the fact that the Lord takes vengeance and is filled with wrath. The fact that the Lord takes vengeance on his foes and maintains his wrath against his enemies. That the Lord is slow to anger and great in power. That the Lord will not leave the guilty unpunished. His way is in the whirlwind, and the storm and clouds are the dust of his feet. And so Nahum asked the question, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, like the rocks that are shattered before him. Isaiah writes, see the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within. And we looked at the nature of God's wrath. 
What is it like? Then we learn from the Bible that it's pure. It's not like human wrath. Most often when we get angry, we are offended, our pride gets in the way, and at times our anger is a reflection of our sinful and evil heart. Even when we are angry about the right things, our own sinfulness can pollute our anger. But God's wrath and God's anger is pure. It's untainted by sin. And we know that it's revealed from heaven. This is what Paul writes in Romans 1 and 18. And he reminds us that this wrath is constantly being revealed from heaven. And God's wrath is always directed against sin. Sin in the Bible is defined in a variety of ways on godliness. It's the result of a person's broken relationship with God. And God's anger is against those who are not rightly related to him through his son, the Lord Jesus. The ungodliness of unbelievers is evident in their attitude toward God. Their lack of reverence, their lack of devotion, their lack of receptiveness and responsiveness to the word of God, ungodliness, and of course, unrighteousness. Unrighteousness, because the reason why the world is in the state that it's in is because man is not right with God, and until man is right with his creator, he will not be right with those whom the Creator has created. And so the nature of God's wrath is pure and it's revealed from heaven. It's directed against all sin. But you know, we need to see this evening not just the nature of God's wrath, but the necessity of God's wrath. The necessity of God's wrath. There are many reasons uh, for God's wrath. And one of the reasons that God's wrath is evident is because of the sin of rejecting the revelation that God has given to himself, of himself in creation. Behind a creation, there is a creator. Behind a plan, there's a planner. Uh, behind that which is made, there is a maker. And Paul writes that even Though everyone who has ever lived is aware of God's existence, men neither glorify God or honor Him as God or give thanks, but in their thinking they become futile because their foolish hearts are darkened. Let me share with you something that I came across recently that should make us all to think about what I'm trying to say this evening. That every man starts off with an awareness of God. When Helen Keller was an infant, a disease robbed her of the ability to see, hear, or speak. And through the tireless efforts of her tutor, a lady by the name of Anne Sullivan, Helen learned to communicate through touch and later even learned to walk. And when Miss Sullivan first tried to tell Helen about God, Helen responded that she already knew about him. She just didn't know his name. You see, what Paul is saying is that creation has provided every man and woman with enough light to perceive God's sustaining power and deity. 
But because of sin, humanity has rejected that revelation of God. In fact, the things God gave people to lead them to himself became the very things they used to crucify the Lord Jesus. Donald Gray Barnhouse in his commentary writes this, God will give a man brains to smelt iron and make a hammerhead and nails. God will grow a tree and give man the strength to cut it down and brains to fashion a hammer handle from its wood. And when man has the hammer and the nails, God will put out his hand and let man drive nails through it and place him on a cross in the supreme demonstration that men are without excuse. You see, eternity has been placed within the hearts of all men. And if you speak to any missionary, no matter what part of earth's remotest plane they have gone to, no matter what tribe they have reached, they will tell you of a tribe that worship an unknown God, not the God of the Bible, but the God of their own imagination. Why? Because God has placed eternity within the hearts of all men. Listen to the charge that is brought against humanity for the crime of rejecting. Paul says this in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. You see, the worst crime ever committed in the universe is the failure to give glory and honor to God for who He is. But that is the essence of sin. And that is evident in the fall of man and in the fall of woman. Where they refuse to acknowledge who God is. And that he alone is worthy of exaltation, adoration, honor and praise. Man's greatest sin is a failure to, re to recognize who God really is. That in him we live and move and have our being. That he has given to us this evening the very breath that we breathe. The Westminster Shorter Catechism puts it so eloquently. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And the order is not without significance. The enjoyment is the overflow of the glorified. But glorifying, glorifying him is precisely what sinful men and women by nature will not do. They love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Their heart is, deceit, is deceitful and above all things desperately wicked. So we have the nature of God's wrath. It's pure. It's like every other aspect of his character. God's love is pure. God's goodness is pure. His mercy, his grace, his kindness, his justice, his holiness. He is of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. His wrath is absolutely pure. It's revealed from heaven and it's directed against all sin. 
And the wrath of God is necessary because of the rejection of the revelation that God has given to us in creation, but more so in Jesus Christ. In Him, in Jesus Christ, says Paul, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what God is saying, listen to Jesus. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory. But we need to understand not just something about the nature of God's wrath and the necessity of God's wrath, but the answer to God's wrath. God's wrath has been necessitated because of the sinful nature of humanity, because of the, the refusal on the part of sinful man to honor God, to give him thanks for what he has provided, to recognize his goodness and to recognize his kindness and to recognize his unfailing love. Paul, writing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, puts it like this. He said, He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. And the old hymn puts it so accurately. The wrath of God that was my due upon the Lamb was led. And by the shedding of his blood, the debt for me was paid. That's the wonderful truth of the gospel tonight. That's the blessedness of being in Christ. To know that all the wrath of God that I deserved for my sin was poured out on the Lord Jesus Christ. I cannot fully comprehend. And there, so therefore, I cannot fully communicate to you what it meant for the Lord Jesus to be made sin for us. Him who knew no sin. There was never a sinless word that ever left his lips. There was never a sinful thought that entered his mind. There was never a sinful motivation that moved his heart. He knew no sin. He did no sin. Neither was there a guide found in his mouth. Sometimes we see scenes on television and they're not pleasant to the eye. And we will say to someone maybe who's watching it with us or we'll say to ourselves, that is disgusting. That is absolutely revolting. That is repugnant. That's awful. Turn that off. That's awful. My dear friends, I dare to suggest that that is nothing in comparison to what it meant for the Lord Jesus to be made sin for us. He who knew no sin. I read this evening from Second Thessalonians. The second letter that followed the first letter. 
by a relatively a few short months. You know, there's no such a thing, and you've heard me say it, and others have said it, as a perfect church. Someone has said, if you get a perfect church, go, don't go to it, because if you and I go to it, it will no longer be perfect. But there is what I think can be called a model church, and I think the church at Thessalonica fell into that category. They were model Christians. And notice how Paul commends them. He says, you're growing in your faith. It's great to be growing in the faith. To become more and more like the Lord Jesus. And if we are believers, we should be growing in our faith day after day. Week after week, month after month, year after year. The immaturity among some of God's people who profess to have been saved a lifetime is very, very stressful. We should be growing in faith. And if we're growing in faith, notice something else here. We'll be abounding in love. What two characteristics to identify a role model for believers to follow. Growing in faith, abounding in love. And Paul reminds them that they are an example to other churches. They're an example in their steadfastness. And they had a faith that took them through the fiery furnace of persecution, affliction, and pain. They had enduring faith because growing faith, which abounds in love, will result in enduring faith. And the pattern is very important. And then Paul goes on uh, to remind them uh, that the coming judgment of God will be experienced by the wicked. God will not and cannot be indifferent to the ways of the wicked, to the ways of the ungodly. And sometimes when I read about the ungodly, and sometimes when I listen to what they say, there's a sense in which I, I fear for them. Because they don't realize the awful doom that awaits them. The destiny of the wicked is something that is horrible to contemplate. The judgment of the living unsaved will take place at the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And note the character of the judgment. Flaming fire, taking uh, a vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. The gospel is not that people are going to hell. The gospel is not that people will end up in a Christless eternity. The gospel is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. What we read about tonight is the identity of those who have rejected the gospel, who have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ who have identified themselves with those at the cross when they cried, away with him, crucify him. Paul writes, in a time when these Thessalonians experienced trial and tears and turmoil, but their prospect of glory in a coming day kept them on the straight and narrow way. The prospects before their persecutors was one of terrible judgment from a holy God. And so this evening, as we come to celebrate the death of the Lord Jesus, let's celebrate it tonight in this understanding that this terrible wrath 
which is eternal. This terrible wrath which will fall upon those who have rejected Christ is not our experience tonight because of someone and that someone is the Lord Jesus who took our place yonder on Calvary's cross and all that we deserved all that we were worthy of he took it in our place had God dealt with us in the way we deserve to be dealt with, we will be banished, banished from his presence, banished into a Christless eternity. Let me end tonight with the definition that I commence because I think it's very, very important. The greatest peril facing every person in every ethnic group in every place on earth at every time in history is the righteous wrath of God against guilty sinners leading to everlasting suffering unless God himself rescues us from his own judgment. Aren't you glad tonight to know that there's a way back to God from the dark path of sin. There is a door that is open and you may go in. And Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. The psalmist writes as follows. The Lord is merciful and the Lord is gracious. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. He does not repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. We thank God tonight for his word. And we praise God tonight for the sacrifice of his son that has satisfied the righteous demands of a holy God and sufficient to meet the need of all who have called upon his name. And if you have called upon his name, the invitation is extended to you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so as we come to the Lord's table, we stand to sing the hymn, What can wash away my stain? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We will stand to sing this hymn, and then after we sing this hymn, we shall be seated to remember the Lord in the breaking of bread. Let's stand to sing.